Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. How are you today? It's good to see my friends at Core Church again. Talked to one of the coffee hosts back in the... Uh, Back in the lobby there. Thank you, sir. Wasn't you, but he was close, close by. He said, I love when Blaine comes to Core Church. I was really blessed for a moment until he said, man, I, I get some of the best sleeps during his sermon. So, just fulfilling the Lord's text. It gives us beloved sleep. So enjoy. I will not wake you up. If you happen to fall asleep, I'll let you enjoy the dreams and vision God gives you in your sleep. So I'm just glad to be here today. I wasn't sure if I'd make it uh, on Wednesday. Lori will tell you that I was uh, pretty much in bed this whole week uh, recovering from whatever Cofluvid or something. I don't know what it was. It was a combination of everything that's come through this country in the last two years. It hit me all at once, but I feel really good today. I was able to get out yesterday with my son and go out to our House of Resurrection property and do, do a little uh, fire pit building and, and uh, really appreciate um, Pastor Brad showing our, uh, our video today. Actually, they kind of produced part of that. They put, uh, put some of that together. I'm going to use it in other places. Thank you for, for putting that together, Brad. But um, we are super pumped about that. And uh, I would just, on the heels of that, just say be praying for us. Uh, we have purchased our property. It's in Wagner, actually right next to uh, Fort Gibson Lake. We have a beautiful, beautiful piece of property that some Christian people helped us to acquire at a really, really good price. And uh, we are moving trees and preparing uh, the site for building. Uh, as the Lord just continues to bring us the resources, we started last March, last year, uh, in our campaign, and uh, we knew we needed to raise about a million dollars, and we've already got 600,000 of that in the last uh, year. So God is blessing, and uh, just, we're pumped. We can't wait to see this thing come to pass. And and in the process, God gave us a home uh, that is right next to the property where Lori and I are going to live. And so we'll be right there adjacent to this facility. And we're, uh, you know, long term, we, we're going to have couples in. We're going to have uh, men in. We're going to have pastors in. We'll be able to accommodate initially 12 at a time, which is awesome right now. When I do uh, our, our resurrection coaching and helping men and couples, I mean, we can basically do one uh, or one couple. So this is going to multiply our efforts uh, many, many times over. So thank you for your prayers on that, and, and uh, we'll uh, keep you updated. So uh, we're in the, the kind of uh, the beginnings of, a, or maybe even the middle of a series that uh, we're doing here at Core Church, New Beginnings Begin With God. 
And at the beginning of the year, it's a great time to talk about what is God beginning in our lives? What new things is he wanting to bring to pass? And we may feel like some of us, uh, like I don't see anything new or I'm just kind of happy with the old or anything I ever get my hopes up for something new never really happens. But I want you to know we serve a faithful God and he loves you and he believes in you and there, there is new that he wants to bring into your life, even if you don't perceive it and see it right now. So I want to read our text and... Uh, Brad said, hey, you can use this text and, or, you know, or read it and then go on to a different text. And I knew this text well. And I said, no, I'm staying right here. This is a beautiful, beautiful text. And I want to just uh, make some comments on it this morning. And I really believe the pinnacle of uh, the Christian encounter in terms of gathering and worship, especially when you go back and you analyze the first uh, century or two of, of Christian worship, as they worshiped in homes in, in uh, the early church, the, the pinnacle of Christian worship really isn't the preaching. Now, we've made it that in America. If you go to most churches, that's kind of the highlight right after the crescendo of worship, the preacher preaches. But the crescendo in the early church was always one thing, the table. And the reason it was the table is that was when the, the people of God were invited to encounter Christ in a very real, personal way that as we would come to the table and receive the, 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 the wine and the bread, or in this case, the juice and the bread, uh, that we would, we would encounter Christ in that, that we believed in some mystical way that when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, that, that we were actually encountering Jesus at the table and that Jesus would work in our lives for healing and hope and restoration and resurrection, maybe where there's been death. So, so I'm gonna continue leading us to this table because one of the beautiful things that I love about Core Church is it always culminates, it always comes to a point where we come to the table and receive what Jesus has for us. So look what it says in Isaiah 43. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you wanna... Uh, Check the screen out. As Brad said, we have it on the screen. And it says this. This is the word of the Lord today for us. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Let that sink in. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I have formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. What a beautiful, powerful passage and text when you think about this past and future theme that is presented here by the prophet Isaiah, we can go throughout the scripture and see God dealing with the past intention or the past and future tension with his people. Go back to like Psalm 126 where it talks about the restoration of Israel's fortune to, uh, in their past and calls on God to restore their fortunes in the future. Go to Philippians, Paul, this uh, scripture that he's known for that we quote so often, talks about forgetting those things that are past and pressing on to the things that God has ahead for us. John 12, we see the recent past of Lazarus' resurrection 
and looks ahead to Jesus approaching death and resurrection as Mary anoints Jesus' body for the grave. So we're constantly in this tension of dealing with our past, but looking to our future and our resurrection and what that would look like. And here in Isaiah 43, it's like a classic rehearsal of Israel's redemption from Egyptian bondage, followed by their assurance that God is going to do good things, that there is a future for them, and that they can literally look past and forget the former things. And so as we're in that tension, as we're thinking about what's happened in our past, what's going on in our present, and what God might have for our future, I want to share four observations out of this passage that I think are helpful, at least for me. I I do believe this, that a new way, a new path for all of us usually begins in a wilderness. That we really don't come into fully knowing we need a new path until we experience a wilderness. And that wilderness, even though it is a difficult thing, it is a challenging thing, it is a good thing. Because it can point us to where God actually wants to take us. It can kind of awaken our reality and our senses to like, no, I'm not staying here. This isn't where I'm gonna camp. This isn't where I belong. And we can begin to prepare our hearts to pursue the promised land or the new thing. The children of Israel had to go through a wilderness before they ever experienced their promised land. Jesus had to go through a wilderness experience at the beginning of his ministry before he would begin to live this incredible, extraordinary life that would change the world. So the wilderness, this would be my my first point out of the four, the wilderness allows us to break away from what we think is normal in our world and allow the Spirit to give us a new normal. And I wonder what the new normal is for you. I wonder what God's up to in your life, and I wonder how you can find that. Because if we want to break out of the wilderness, we want to break into the new, where do we find that new? And how does that new come? We see a clue to this when the prophet Habakkuk speaks in Habakkuk chapter 2. This is such an interesting uh, word because it, it seems like it's, uh, it seems like he's, you know, like saying one thing but then disclaiming what he just said. Look what it says. It says, I will stand on my watch and set myself on a tower. So we see this separation where Habakkuk says, I'm going to a separate place. I'm going to this tower. I'm going to isolate. I'm going to get away from the world that I live in. And I watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. (coughs) Excuse me. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets that he may run that reads it. So here we see him setting apart, kind of going to his wilderness place, his tower, isolated from the world, and all of a sudden this vision comes. All of a sudden this seeing, this insight comes. You know, that God wants to help you to see things that you've never seen before. Sometimes we think that, you know, for for us to be a, a real Christian and to really hear from God and to know what God has, that we need this voice, we need this audible voice, or we need, you know, something supernatural. Did you know God usually works through seeing? That we'll see things in our heart. We'll see things that we've kind of never proposed before or thought of before. That we just have this seeing. That's why in the 
the New Testament, the New Covenant, when, when Peter prophesies about the church and introduces this idea of the church, that he said, in the last days, he's quoting from Joel, that uh, young, young men uh, will prophesy, that old men will see visions, that young men will see, uh, or that young men will see dreams and, and old men will see visions. And there's this seeing and envisioning and dreaming that God wants to use kind of our mind's eye to see things we haven't seen. Don't discount that in those times with God, in those times when you're fasting, I know this is a fasting church and a praying church, don't discount the things that you may see in those moments, the visions of the future that God may have for you. Habakkuk saw this vision, and look what it said. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and not lie. Now listen to this, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Think about that. He just said, though it tarry, wait, it will not tarry. It's kind of weird. Visions don't happen immediately. The seeing doesn't translate into the reality right away with God. There's always an incubation period. Aren't you glad that God creates incubation periods? We may not like the fact that it takes a while for the seeing to turn into the reality, but that's just the way God is, and I think it helps to prepare us for what is coming. Aren't you glad that the moment, ladies, that you get pregnant, you don't have to run to the hospital and have the baby? Like right there, that, that day. Honey, I'm pregnant. I don't know if you noticed, but... I got a full-term baby. I got to go to the hospital. It's almost like God says, I'm going to give you nine months to get ready for this. And really, we need more. Should be about three years. But he gives us nine months. And I think the seeing and then the incubation of the vision, I think is for our own good, to prepare us for what is coming. And when he says, though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not tarry. Those two words, the two tarries, are actually completely different words. The first tarry, the word is linger, or though it slow walks. Though the vision slow walks, or though it lingers, in the end it will not tarry. The second tarry is it will not be kept back. It will not. And that's the beauty of God, that when we're in that, that kind of from past to future present and we're not seeing everything that God wants to bring and we're still living a little bit in the effects of our past, that we just continue to slow walk with God. And that's, that's faithfulness, friends. It's living into a faithful, steadfast life. Nothing quick happens in the wilderness, but God does work, and when he does, it will last I have a beautiful pastor friend. His name is Dave Coop. I'm from Canada. He pastors in Vancouver, Canada, one of the most un-evangelized un, uh, and unchristian uh, cities in America. It's a West Coast city. It's much like an L.A. Uh, for Canada, if you will. There's a lot of Hollywood, a lot of uh, you know film and music uh, production, and it's a very, 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 very liberal uh, city in Canada. And so. The Lord, uh, many years ago, told him and his wife to begin a church plant in downtown, which is the most liberal part of the most liberal city in Canada, downtown. It's a beautiful downtown, but it's just not a place to plant a church if you want to grow a church. 
If you want something really small for a long time, it's a great place <laughs> to plant a church. But this Dave guy, this friend of mine, is, he's not a charismatic guy. He's not a dynamic personality. He's just a faithful man and his wife, just faithful. So they plant this church, and somehow he wrangled enough money together to send out 50,000 postcards. This would have been back 20 years ago to everyone downtown, at least any, everyone within so many city blocks of where they were renting this little tiny hotel room. And uh, 50,000 postcards, <laughs> and they had their first service, and there was his family of five, Dave, his wife, and then three kids, and one other person. 50,000 postcards, one response, and Dave went up and said, hey, really glad you're here, man. <laughs> Glad someone got the postcard and he looked back and said, what postcard? I didn't get a postcard. I just heard y'all were doing something with free coffee in here, so I showed up. So the long, the long term of that church is that 10 years later, they were still running about 50 people. His family, a few friends. And one day the Lord said, really the Lord didn't even say, one day Dave walked across this vision of this Unitarian church that was closing. It was right downtown, a beautiful historical church. And uh, they were closing, and so he just felt impressed to go and ask if he could buy it. And he had no money. So we went and talked to the people that were selling it, and they said, well, sure, it's gonna be like $2 million. And uh, if you'd like to drop a contract, uh, we can do it. And he said, well, get that contract together. So he went back to his board, and they literally had about $20,000 in the bank. And he said, we're going to buy this church. We need, to get, we need to get a down payment of, I think it was 20%. So I don't know what that would have been, a lot of money, more than what he had. So they had 60 days to close on that building. And within 60 days, God brought him into contact with three dynamic Christian businessmen in the downtown area, one of them that owned uh, the largest grocery store chain in Canada, and he got all that money for that building. All of it, not the down payment, got it all. Closed on the building. When they got into the building, they found out, man, we gotta make all these changes. It was old, it was run down. They, they knew that, but they thought, well, we'll figure that out. So there was like $2 million in, in work and renovation. Because it was historical, the building had to be renovated in certain ways, and there were certain things you couldn't touch. So it was very costly. So they prayed again and said, Lord, help us. You know, and he saw a path forward. He didn't know exactly what it looked like. And then one day, he gets a knock on his door, and it's the next-door neighbor. Well, next door to this church is about a 30-story about a building. It's a beautiful downtown building that's 30 stories or 40 stories, something like that. So they get knocking on the door, and the guy comes in. And he says, hey, I own the, the building next to you, and we would like to buy your airspace. And Dave just looked back and said, what airspace? He said, well, you can only build so high in Vancouver, but if someone else isn't building high, you can buy their airspace and add on to the height of your building. So we're at our limit. We would like to buy your airspace so we can build higher. He said, well, how much do you want to buy it for? 
We said, well, I'll start with an offer of a couple million dollars. And Dave just looked back and said, well, that's not going to be good enough. <laughs> Long story short, they sold the airspace, paid for all the renovations. They have five campuses in Vancouver, and they run over 2,000 uh, attendees and members in their church today. That's what God can do with vision, friends. That's what happens when we tarry and wait on the Lord and see things and are patient to wait for the incubation of the vision. I'm glad he didn't give up after eight years or nine years because it took 10. Here's the second thing. It's when we are willing to walk through nothing that the Father can give us everything. When we're willing to live a nothing life, survive a nothing job, walk through a nothing relationship or a nothing experience, nothing makes us all want to give up but nothing makes God want to do something. He loves nothing because he's a master of bringing something out of nothing. It's what he does. You know, we talk about resurrection. We're approaching April 9th, Easter Sunday, and it'll be a beautiful day where we're reminded of the fact that all things can become new, but resurrection begins with nothing. It begins with death, it begins with a seed that has died, that has been planted into the soil, uh, that has no more life. That's where God does his best work, is we get to that nothing moment in our life where there's nothing to live for, or it seems like nothing's happening that is good for me. God loves to work with nothing and nothings. I love Nehemiah celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle with God's people, and he gets all pumped up, and he says, go and eat your best food, drink the best wine, and give something, he says, to those that have nothing, since this is the holy day of our Lord. He said, that's what God is all about. Find nothing and bring something into it. That's what God specializes at, bringing something out of nothing. I remember I felt a lot of nothing uh, 12 years ago. I had nothing to live for, lost everything with my sexual addiction and my sin, lost my marriage, lost my wife, lost relationship with my three children who were in their 20s, uh, lost everything financial, financially bankrupt, house foreclosures. I mean, it was just an awful period of my life. And, you know, when I look back and... and uh, and realize the pain that I caused people and the, the, the secrets that I kept, I, you know, on some level, I felt like I deserved it all, you know. And you get to places, if uh, some of you maybe been there, where you just wonder, you know, do I want to live? Do I really want to go on? And I think maybe the only way and the only reason that I made it through that living was because of God's grace and because of family that, that supported me and somehow helped me to, to get through that. But I remember... You know, a year or two after uh, my divorce, and, and uh, I was feeling a lot of nothing. You know, I was feeling really lost without, without somebody in my life and feeling lonely and isolated and feeling almost useless. Like, I, I can't do life alone. I wasn't made for this. I, I really leaned into the text that it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis 1. And I said, Lord, this isn't good. 
And yet it was hard at 50-something years of age to, like, you know, find somebody or even believe that I deserved anybody. So I remember going to my pastor and said, you know, pastor, I've asked out um, a couple girls in this church, ladies, and they both have turned me down. Any, any ideas, any options, you know? And he said, well, you might, you know, get on a dating site. Just be careful, you know, here's some parameters. And he's, I said, oh, okay, I, I guess I could do that. So I, I started into the world of dating in my 50s, and it was an awful world. Awful. Yeah, you know, when you're in your 20s and doing that, it's cool because, you know, if you took a picture like two years ago, you pretty much still look like you did two years ago. But when you're in your 50s and dating people in their 50s and they're putting up pictures from when they were in their 20s, it's like you get to the restaurant, you're like, wait a minute, are you Linda or Linda's grandmother? I... I and I was probably just as guilty, you know, I was using old pictures. And of course, you, you docker up those profiles and make them think you have more than what you have and you're better than what you, you know, really are. I mean, it's just a, kind of an awful world. And I'd been on at least 30 dates over, the, over two years of being on this, this site with nary a future in, in sight. And... Uh, one of the last ones that maybe just want to give up was I, I went on this date with this, this, this really nice woman. She, she, she kind of checked all the boxes and just beautiful. And, and she was, uh, you know, her picture looked the same and she was uh, very, very easy to talk to. And uh, we were laughing. I mean, the dinner was going beautifully. And so she then asked the question, uh, tell, tell me about, you know, how you got here. You know, what, what, tell me, you know, that's kind of the first question when you're in your 50s is, you know, what, what's happened in the past? Did you, were you married? Did you go through divorce? What happened? And so I was at this place in my life where I'm, you know, when you've lived a life of secrets for 23 years, I mean, I was just in full disclosure place. Just be totally honest about everything. I'm not going to hide anything ever again. So I just looked back and I thought, honesty wins the day. And I said, well, you know, this, this is what, you know, happened. And, you know, I had sexual addiction and, and uh, I acted out. I told her all the things that had happened and it was an awful story. And I think, man, she's going to be really attracted to this honesty and this, this you know, vulnerability. And I mean, I'm, I'm tearing up as I'm telling the story and crying. I'm thinking, man, this is working. This is going to be awesome. She's going to love me. And she just stopped, you know, after I got done and said, Blaine, can I just tell you something? Two things. First, we are never going to happen. <laughs> this is over. I respect you, but I never want to see you again because I can't possibly trust somebody like you. And my heart is broken, and I'm thinking, why did I tell her all this, you know, so early? And she, and she said, now, let me tell you something. You are going to find somebody, but do not ever tell them 
everything again on the first date. She said, give it three months until they're so invested and so committed that they would be embarrassed to back out because I've told their friends how wonderful you are. So that was God's stream in the wilderness in that moment. That was his voice in a, in a wasteland. I thought, okay, I'm holding on to that. Fast forward six months later, I see this, this beautiful blonde on, on Match.com, and she's not much of a writer. Her profile wasn't very well written, but she, she had some beauty about her, and she, she had all these friends, and I thought, okay. So I reached out to her, and we started talking, and we started to correspond. We corresponded for two weeks before we ever met, and finally we went out for dinner, and I invited Lori to, because she was Italian, I invited her to Tiamo's which is a, a really nice Italian restaurant here in Tulsa. And it's got these heart-shaped, you know, booths, and it's real romantic. And so I take her to Tiamo's. And, and uh, so we start talking, and we start talking about each other's past. And I said, so tell me about your past. And she said, well, I had this, you know, this uh, husband. He was really a good man, and he was really, for years, a really faithful and a good father. And but he, he just had a tragic event happen in his life and he turned to alcohol as an escape and he became an alcoholic and just destroyed his life. Just destroyed it. And it resulted in, you know, us just not being able to, to be together anymore. So we went through a divorce. And, 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 and she said, you know, Blaine, I, I can deal with a lot of, lot of stuff. I, I, can, I can overlook all kinds of stuff, but the one thing I can't handle is somebody with an addictive past. So she said, uh, tell me about yourself. I said, yeah, I hate addiction. I've seen it destroy so many lives. And I was completely honest with her without saying a word about my own addiction. We kind of passed by that conversation pretty quickly. And, and three, uh, it was a couple months later, we were out on another date. And I felt like, okay, we're making progress. There's an investment here. And I, I just looked at Lori and I said, have you ever Googled me? And uh, she just looked back and said, why would I want to Google you? I said, you probably want to Google me. And she did, and we met again, and she actually showed up. And when I think about how God can bring streams in a wasteland, how God can give us a vision of something out of nothing, I was living in the nothing world. I was living in a wasteland. I was living in a wilderness. And the beauty of God is that he can do miracles in that land of nothing. I mean, this woman is a miracle in my life. She has brought so much grace, so much goodness, so much hope into my life. Friends, don't ever give up on God. No matter how many rejections, how many hurts, how many difficult moments you have, God is for you. Two last things. I love when uh, Isaiah says, the wild animals honor me. It's kind of a weird thing in the middle of this, the wild animals honor me. Well, if you have any insight into Jewish text and Jewish culture, Jewish custom, 
you, you know that wild animals are, are very representative of the beast in us, the wildness in us, our prone desires to be harmful in the way that we live, our compulsive parts of our life. And, and, the, and the prophet even talks about jackals and owls. And in scripture, jackal is always representative of the cunning, the indifferent to the plight of others, the salient the jackal waits and watches for the opportune time to, to pounce. Its aim is survival at any cost. And then the owl is that, that, that bird that, that is in the night, that is in the darkness, and that is seeking its prey in darkness. And, and God says, even the wild animals will honor me. When we give our lives fully to Jesus, in our wilderness moments and in our wild animal moments when we've allowed our own compulsions to destroy us, overcome us, and maybe even hurt others, that God can bring hope into those broken places, those addictive places, those untamed parts of our heart. And finally, the prophet said, learn to discern the stream in the wasteland. Learn to look for the stream. Don't focus on where you're at. Don't focus on all the brokenness. Say, Lord, where is the stream? Where is that water coming from? Because it's that water that is gonna bring me joy and hope and vision and life once again. And that stream may be a book. That stream may be a message. That stream may be a person. Maybe a conference. Maybe a divine encounter that you have with somebody. But where is your stream? Because God's bringing it. But it says we have to perceive it. We have to see it. We have to look for it. I remember in my spiritual quest to find Christ again, to rediscover my faith again, after losing so much of my faith in God, there was a friend who said, you must meet this man. He went through something similar. And, and he will help you. And I, I knew this man, but I'd never met him. And I thought, well, I, I don't know if I need to meet this man. But I, when I walked away from that conversation, I was struck with the notion that I must meet this man. And there will be moments in your life where you, you've heard many, 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 many things. Many, many voices of wisdom or counsel or advice. But something will stay with you and say, no, I got to do this. I must go there. I must meet them. I must get that book. I must go to that worship encounter. I must. And I knew I must meet that man. So I went back to Tulsa from Dallas and I walked into his church about eight years ago. And I'd never met him. Didn't know him. But I had a must meet in my And I walked in and immediately the greeter said, oh, aren't you Blaine Bartell? I know you. Hey, it's so good to have you here. Let me take you back and introduce you to our pastor. So they take me back and they introduce me to a pastor in the city named Ed Gunger. He's actually preached in this church. And when Ed saw me, even though we'd never met and I didn't know him and he, I didn't think knew me, he just came over and just gave me this biggest hug and said, Blaine, I'm so glad you're here. Come on, grab me by the hand. You're going to sit with us this morning on the front. And then he said, let's go to lunch after. And this man so embraced 
me in my brokenness and my pain and my hurt. I've never been more well-loved by a brother in Christ than when I was loved by him and all of my broke, because I had nothing to offer him. And he discipled me and he mentored me and he, he brought me into this more, more profound, deep relationship with Jesus than I'd ever had before. And he became like a stream in my wilderness. Where is your stream? There's a stream and you've got to see it. And you've got to seize it. You've got to find it. And it will be your way out. It will be your way out. God is making all things new. This is what he specializes in. Resurrection is his stuff. Let him do it in us. Let him do it in you. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach your table, we want to approach it knowing that we are men and women of faith, that we're men and women that are forgiven, that as we come to this table, we don't come with regret, we don't come with remorse, that we come as the forgiven saints of God, taking in all that Jesus has for our future. So I want to just close with a prayer before we receive the body and blood of Christ. If you're here right now and you say, Blaine, I'm not sure if I'm right with Jesus. I'm not sure that I'm ready to meet him. I'm not sure that I'm walking a faithful life to him. And I want to, I want to just give my life fully to Christ. You may have done it in the past, but maybe you feel like I've got to do it again. Perhaps you've never done it. This is your first time. Then just take this step. Salvation is, is such a simple thing. It's not that hard. It's so simple that it said, Jesus said, you've got to become like a child to receive it. It's so simple that it just simply says, if you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. That's it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to go out and prove that you deserve it. You just have to call and say, Jesus, I need you. So pray this prayer silently with me. If you want to have that relationship with Christ or renew that relationship with Christ, just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I call upon you. Forgive me of all my sin. Deliver me from my wilderness and my wasteland. Jesus, make all things new. Amen. We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.